Well, friends, it is the end of summer, and uh, students in Northville and Plymouth will start school back after Labor Day, just a week and a couple days away, as is Michigan custom. But this year, students in Livonia and Farmington will start school tomorrow, more than a week earlier than kids in Northville and Plymouth schools, prompting kids in Northville and Plymouth to say, na 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 there's actually a common misery and a common joy that accompanies this time of the year. It's been an emotional time in my own family as well. Angie and I dropped off our youngest child, our only daughter, at college a couple of days ago. And at drop-off as we left, Angie cried. And I got something in my eye right about that time because it was pretty uh, bad. Uh, no, you know me better than that. You know that I cried like a baby. Uh, college is so expensive. And uh, I, I cried for a lot of reasons, and I prayed for a lot of reasons. I, I think most of us pray more during times of transition. And have you noticed that our world is in the middle of a number of transitions right now? It's not just kids going back to school. Our world is in the middle of transition and so today, at the end of a summer and at the start of a new school year, and in the midst of a world, in the midst of transition, I'd like to talk with you today about prayer. Now, whenever we talk about prayer, it can bring up feelings of, of uh, guilt or defensiveness, and I kind of want to level the playing field by, by confessing some things about prayer for my own life, but I'd feel better if you confessed first. So uh, by a show of hands, here in the Northville Sanctuary and there at the Farmington Hills campus and wherever you are online, by a show of hands, uh, how many of you have ever at any point felt guilty about your prayer life because you didn't pray enough or didn't believe enough or didn't pray for the right things? Anybody ever feel guilty about their prayer life? Can we see your hands? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm a pastor, and I've walked with Jesus for a long time, so I am embarrassed to admit that Success in my prayer life has been more intermittent than persistent. And I've had some attitudes and thoughts about prayer that have just been wrong and have needed to be shaped. Uh, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, one of my pet peeves is people who use prayer as an excuse for inactivity. People who say, I'll pray for you, but they miss an opportunity to be an answer to prayer. I've always personally resonated more with the faith of uh, practical James in the Bible who wrote things like this. He said, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Don't just wish that person well. Don't just pray for them. Do something. Be practical. And I'm so glad to be part of a church that's action-oriented. Uh, we don't just pray for the city of Detroit. We adopt a 22-square-block area of the city and rehab homes and put in tutoring programs and build preschools and build businesses that create jobs. We don't just pray for the marginalized of India, we build schools and tutor kids and, and, and dig wells and fight for the rights of women. I, I love that about our church. We don't just pray, we put our money and our labor behind our prayers. Don't just pray, do something. 
But today, I feel like we need a different kind of message. I want to remind all of us today, myself included, that prayer is doing something. And prayer may be the best thing that we can do. Human action is very important, human action, but it is no replacement to seeking the power of God. And I realize that I've kind of viewed prayer as preparation for the battle when Jesus seemed to see prayer as the battle itself. I've always thought of prayer as preparation for the battle, but Jesus seemed to think of prayer as the battle itself. Think about it. Where did Jesus sweat drops of blood? It was not while he was teaching, not while he was healing, not even while he was carrying his own cross. He sweat drops of blood while praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in a battle. And I don't think his disciples recognized what was going on there in that garden. And I didn't either. Jesus was in battle. And I'm so glad to be part of a congregation of doers. And one of the best things we can do for our world right now is to pray. How many of you have this sense that our world could use a little more prayer right now? The scripture that was read earlier from Second Chronicles, let's look at it again. God is speaking, and God says, if my people, God says, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. God says, I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Now God says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. God says, my ears will be open to the prayers offered in this place. We need to pray as we send our kids and our grandkids back to school. Pray for schools and for neighborhoods and for communities and for elected officials. We need to pray, pray, pray. And, uh, and I've asked uh, four of our, uh, oh, I notice also the language of this where, uh, where it says humble ourselves. If we humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways, God will forgive. Notice these are words of confession. These aren't just prayers of intercession, Prayers of asking God for stuff. That's our favorite form of prayer, asking God to do stuff. But notice there's a real uh, need uh, in this passage to confess, to come to God with humility and confess where we've gone astray. I've invited four ministry leaders to come and lead us in a guided time of prayer right now. If you'd make your way forward, we're going to have a little season of prayer right now together, both campuses uh, here together. And I invite you to enter this time of prayer um, to assume a posture of prayer, you might want to um, get low. You might want to fold your hands. Maybe you want to keep your palms up. Uh, some of you may want to go to your knees right now and pray, if that's a comfortable posture for you. But for just the next few moments, we're going to seek our good God together as a church for each other, for our world, for our nation. Let us seek our God. I would like for us to go to prayer and consider God's sweet gift of humility. I'd like to pray about the gift God has given to us and what humility means in our lives. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Our dear Lord, in these moments of worship, we stand in the presence of the preached word and we declare our need of Jesus. And yet, Father, things 
There are things and those who walk away never understand what it takes to find Jesus Christ as their Savior. Holy Father, the joy of this moment is to know that there is a way we can walk out of this room full of the presence of our Lord. And that is to humble ourselves, to pray and seek the face of our God. And in this moment, in a contrite and humble spirit, we walk away from our wicked ways and do them no more. And what glory, dear Jesus, for your eyes are open to our humility and you hear us in our confessed need and you forgive us our sins. And this humble act, Lord, makes room in our hearts for the intimacy of your love. As we lay aside our pride and arrogance, we enjoy your presence and joy rises in our hearts as we are his righteousness. Humility, God, thank you, embraces the preaching of the word as we respond with the substance of our eternal soul. Oh, Father, how comforting it is to bow ourselves before you. As our sins are washed away in our humility, the dirty clothing of this world is removed and we put on the garment of his holiness as he who is gentle and lowly of heart so it must be for us in jesus name we pray amen almighty god all thoughts of peace and of unity and of love and of truth come from you and kindle in us and in our land the fire of your peace and of your unity and of your truth and of your love Lord we ask that you would pour out your spirit on all people in all nations that all may be delivered from disorder and division from hatred and hostility and from all self-seeking that they may find healing and peace in the only place it can truly be found which is in you in your mercy Lord we pray for our country for all those in positions of authority over us your word tells us that a ruler with discernment and knowledge maintains order and so Lord we ask that you would grant every ruler wisdom and discernment in all matters. You are not a God of disorder, but of peace. And we ask that our leaders would be just like you in this way. Move them to seek your will and your face above all things. Protect and shepherd them as they seek to protect and shepherd us, Lord that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. In your, Lord, in your mercy, Lord, make each one of us instruments of your peace, that your name may be revered, that your kingdom would come, and that your will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask this. Amen. And Father, our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you humble that you love us so much and that we can gather as a local community, God, and worship you. 
Father, I praise your name for that, that we have the freedom to do that. God, as Ward Church, we have such a heritage of great things. And Father, may they be glorifying to you. God, may you get the glory for all of this. And Father, as we look at needs inside and outside the church and our communities, may we meet those needs, God. May it not just be in word, but it be in deed. God, move us to action. Father, I thank you for uh, this church in Northville and Farmington Hills and the fact that we can be in relationship online. God, I ask that we be in unity. We may not be in agreement on different things, but God, may we be unified in you and that it, that's what people see is there's something different about this church. God, we are all the church, all called to you. And so, Father, I ask that you stir us into what we're supposed to do, whether it be in our workplace or whether it be here in the church or whether it be serving somewhere, God. We are all called, and I ask that you give us that purpose, God, and that we use it rightfully, God, for your glory alone. Father, I thank you for all the different opportunities that are here. God, help us to see and meet those needs and not think somebody else is going to do it. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. God, a new school year is upon us. And with that new school year comes, for some of our kids, some of our students, new buildings, new teachers, new adventures, new clubs, new sports, new all kinds of new things. So God, as our, as our kids and as our students are preparing for this year of school, God, we ask that you would fill them with your spirit so that they go into school not just looking to survive another school year, but to thrive this school year. To bring your love where they're, and let your love overshadow the hate they find in, in their schools, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their worlds. God, we pray for our kids and for our students that you grant them peace, that you grant them courage, just like you did for Joshua. You told them to be strong and courageous. And God, that is our prayer for our kids, for our students, that they would enter into this year feeling strong and courageous because they know you are going with them. God, we pray for the families and the homes of, of students and kids who are preparing for new rhythms, who are coming out of somewhat of a lax rhythm that comes along with summer and back into the swing of things. God, we pray for energy and strength for parents as they're waking up a little bit earlier, getting their kids out of bed a little bit earlier. God, that you be with them, give them peace and patience as all these new clubs and sports start back up again, God. And God, we pray for our teachers. We're so thankful for, for that you have created people to be teachers and you have uniquely gifted them with abilities to impart knowledge on our kids, on our students. And God, our teachers are coming out of some very tough years, some very difficult years, God. And I pray where they are tired, you would give them strength. I pray when they are frustrated or timid going into the new year, God, that you would fill them with your hope and your joy and a peace that passes all understanding in God. We pray for our college students as well. We pray for those students that are moving into a college campus for the first time this year. 
God, that you would help them to be a light in the darkest corners of this world. God, that you would fill them with your spirit, with your hope, with your love. God, we are praying for a school year that is just wrapped up in your hope, in your love. God, we thank you for the way you bless us and we pray that you go in and through our students, our kids, our college students. God, bless them this year, we pray. And God, we all lift our voices and pray together when we all say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We you thank our ministry leaders for guiding us. Prayer is one of the best things we can do for each other and for our world. In the time that remains, I want to encourage you not just to pray, but to keep praying. We're so tempted to give up early on prayer or to give up early on God. And Jesus knew we would feel this way. And so he tells to his disciples, to his followers, the parable of the persistent widow. And he told them and us this story so that they would uh, always pray and never give up. How do I know that's why he told the parable? That's what it says in Luke 18. Luke 18 says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then here's the parable that Jesus told. Jesus said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? A parable of Jesus. In every parable, of course, uh, the characters are very important. In this parable, there are two main characters. There is the judge. And it says the judge neither feared God nor, uh, nor cared about people. Uh, so we already know this is not a good guy. This is not somebody you're going to send a victim of injustice to. In the first century, when it says the judge didn't fear God, what they're really saying is this judge doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about justice, and he doesn't care about people. He shouldn't be a judge, but somehow it happened, and this judge has all the power and none of the heart. He's not going to be much help to people who are victims of injustice. If you, if you have unjust actions against you, this judge will not help you at all. The second character is a widow, and Jesus chooses a widow in the story because in that time and place, all of his listeners understood that the character in the story, what we're talking about, is someone who is uh, innocent, powerless, and oppressed. She's got no advocate. She's being harassed by a local villain. Now, we don't know the details of the story. We don't know if the harassment was physical or financial or what it is. But as a, uh, in that time and place, being a widow without a husband made her vulnerable 
She has no advocate. And so she decides her only hope is to appeal to the mercy and justice of the court system. Now, we already uh, know that this judge doesn't care anything for justice. He doesn't care anything for people. What are the odds that this judge is going to help this widow? Slim to none. We might tell her, widow, you might as well not even try. Uh, He's not going to help you. This is going to be a waste of time. And the story goes like we assume that it will. She goes in and pleads her case. Oh, judge, I need your help. You are my only hope, judge. I'm only asking for what the law requires. Please, your honor, help me. And sure enough, we find out this judge doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about this widow. He does nothing, and he throws her out into the street. And this is where the plot thickens. After initially being shocked and hurt by the judge's response, she decides she will go back to the judge again. She uh, reasons that this crooked judge still is my only hope. He's the only shot I have. So she decides she will persist. She will go back again and again and again until this judge gives her what she's asking for, which is only what the law requires. And Jesus actually uses a word in the Greek language. The verb here is a boxing term and would have been like to hit somebody repeatedly in the eye socket. Something you'd want to defend yourself from or run away from. And the idea of Jesus here is that the widow is wearing the judge down. And the verb is a future tense, meaning this is kind of a persistent irritation that has a will to go on forever. This widow is not going anywhere. And now, just because of her sheer persistence, the judge gives in. The judge says, look, I don't care about justice. I don't care about people. I don't care about this widow. But to keep her from badgering me, I will give her what she asks for. And the moral of the story, it pays to nag. (laughs) Might want to write that down somewhere. No, this is not the moral of the story. Jesus said he'd tell the story to tell people to always pray and to never give up. And for centuries, people have read this story in Luke 18, and uh, and they either didn't read all the way to the bottom, or they misunderstood it. And some people say, well, I hear the story, I get it, it's an allegory. It's an allegory. We human beings are like that widow. We're powerless, helpless. We can't fix our own problems, and we need someone from the outside. And God is like that judge. I mean, he's busy. He's got a whole universe to lead. So I have to persist. I've got to nag. I've got to, uh, uh, you know, pester him over and over again. I've got all my friends to pester God. And maybe if we bang on the door of heaven long enough, we will wear God down. Just maybe we'll be able to wrench a blessing out of the tight-fisted hand of God. Is that what this story means? I sure hope not. Jesus does explain this story at the end, and this is not an allegory. It's an exercise in contrast or opposites. Jesus is saying, you are not like that poor widow. In fact, you are the opposite of that poor widow. The widow was poor, powerless, forgotten, abandoned, no relationship to the judge. She is just a number. You, on the other hand, are a child of God, the supreme judge. You are an heir. You are not abandoned. You are adopted. You are not a problem. You are a priority. You walk into that courtroom as a treasured and beloved child of the judge. Child of God. 
And God is not like that judge. In fact, God's like the opposite of that judge. The judge in the story is crooked and unfair, disrespectful, uncaring, and preoccupied with himself. Our God is righteous, just, holy, tender, responsive, and compassionate. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you know nothing else about God, know this, that at the core of God's being, God is good. He is goodness. So don't think that you have to somehow wrench a blessing from the closed hand of a tight-fisted God. No, the Bible says repeatedly, God loves to give blessing. God loves to give favor. God loves to give benefits to his children. God is a giving God, a blessing God, an empowering God. Jesus is saying, if you really understood who God is, and if you really understood who you were, you would pray differently. And maybe you've heard me illustrate it like this. Imagine there are two Girl Scouts in my neighborhood approaching my door, hoping to make a cookie sale. They've been canvassing the neighborhood, and now they're coming to my doorstep, and these two Girl Scouts are discussing their odds of scoring a cookie sale. And one of the Girl Scouts says, well, I've heard the homeowner is a pastor, and pastors are nice people, and pastors like cookies, uh, I, think we'll, I think we could make a sale. And the other Girl Scout says, well, pastors are also cheap, and, uh, you know, maybe there's nobody even home now. I don't know. And they're discussing the odds back and forth as they gingerly step onto the doorstep and push the doorbell. Now, I am home that day, and I answer the door. What do you think happened next? Did the homeowner purchase Girl Scout cookies or not? Yes. Well, that was even more enthusiastic than I was hoping for. <laughs> Yes, I bought the cookies, and I polished off an entire sleeve of Thin Mints before my family got home. <laughs> now, what the girls did not know is that I have pre-decided that I always buy from any child who comes to our doorstep if it is reasonable. Cookies, light bulbs, calendars, discount books, I have purchased them all. My whole family knows it. It's just part of our, our budget. There's no decision to make at the door. We have preloaded. I always buy. Now, if those Girl Scouts had known that about me, what would their confidence level have been that day as they approached my doorstep? And I get the feeling I'm going to see a lot of you on my doorstep this fall. <laughs> now, Change the scenario a little bit. The two Girl Scouts are my nieces. What's their odds now? Jesus says, if you really knew who you were, if you really knew who God is, you would pray differently. You are not a powerless widow. You are a child of the King. God is not some disconnected, uncaring judge. He is your heavenly Father who delights in giving you good things. If you really knew who God was and you really knew who you were, it would change the way you approach God. Jesus closes the parable with a little bit of a challenge. He says, who will the Son of Man find when he returns that has that kind of faith? Is there a handful of people who will pray with that kind of persistent faith that stands in the face of opposition or doubt or fatigue. Anybody pray that way? 
Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. So what have you given up praying for? Where have you ceased being persistent in prayer? Now, praying persistently does not mean that God will always answer your prayers in the ways that you've been asking. Sometimes God answers prayers differently, and sometimes God says no. Ruth Graham, married to Billy Graham, she said that uh, if God answered all of her prayers just the way she asked, she would have married the wrong man at least three times. The parable of Jesus does not explain why some prayers get answered immediately and why some prayers get answered after a season of difficult waiting and why some prayers never get answered in the ways that we've been asking. The parable does not explain that. This parable of Jesus only reminds us that God is good and loving and that we are children and heirs and that we can approach God with confidence in faith and in prayer. So what's that prayer request that you've given up on, either because of fatigue or forgetfulness or loss of hope? Will you begin to pray once more? Will you begin to pray once more? Will you commit to persistent prayer for that person, that issue, that situation, that cause? When you pray, you come to a good father as a beloved child. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, you are the God who moves mountains. We approach your bench with confidence as your sons and daughters. You are good and just and faithful. We come as children, recognizing that our perspective is small and we cannot see what you see. So we will trust. We will persist in prayer until Jesus comes or calls us home. We will bow our knee in humble recognition that you are God. Hear our prayers, Lord Jesus. This we pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, and all God's people at both campuses sit together.